Good morning. Super excited to be with all of you today. Uh, most are regular visitors of our regular attendees of FCF. So if you're a visitor, we welcome you. This is the first meeting or conference of this kind that we've ever had at our church. And I can't tell you how excited I am to actually do this because there's, there are, there's, there's times where you need to focus on one particular issue in the church um, or one particular issue in the culture and be able to speak to that issue uh, at the church. And I think this is really an excellent opportunity to do that here at our church. And I see the Lord beginning to open up some different opportunities with this. This has already been an extreme blessing to my family, being able to prepare for all of this. And it's really encouraged my marriage to be able to go through all of these things. So I'm certainly a, a student along with all the rest of us as we, we look to Scripture to find the truth on these different issues. I'm looking at marriage in the church today. And the, the goal being that how does the church relate to marriages and individuals that are desiring to be married or preparing for married or of marriageable age? How do those... How do those relate? How do those three entities relate? And I think that it's one of, the, one of the real blessings that can come out of doing something like this in a local church is everybody has different opportunities. You all could fly to a much greater confidence, conferences, bigger conferences, bigger speakers, bigger names, probably almost every weekend of the year. There's something going on in America. But I think there's a real opportunity with doing it within your local church because this gives us, gives us time to interact uh, not only during the conference, but months afterward about the information presented. We can talk, we can discuss, and we can flesh these things out in a practical manner. The tendency when you go to a big-name conference, although I love big-name conferences, don't get me wrong, the tendency is kind of get the you know, the raw, raw, emotional, and then you come back and nobody else was there. And so you kind of feel like you're a small fish in a big pond and you really don't get the accountability and interaction and implementation that you desire. And I think we can, we can have that much different in a conference within the local church. And certainly I think that when we're talking about relationships, it's imperative that our church build a, an atmosphere that fosters strong, strong marriages and strengthens marriages and helps prepare marriages. And if we don't have that atmosphere, we're very much right for going the way of the culture, which is Deplorable marriage is deplorable in the remainder in the outside culture. There, let me just say that because marriage is a picture of the church, we can't even take on this discussion of relationships unless we define some things. In preparing for this conference, it became really clear. There's a lot of labels tagged to these things. There's courtship, and then there's lordship, and there's just friends, and there's dating, and there's marriage, and there's divorce, and there's all of these different labels. And every one of us in here probably, to some extent, have a slightly tweaked view of what those things actually are. So to come to a, a, a talk such as this, where we're talking about relationships and we're using labels such as church and marriage... We've got to define what is church and what is marriage from a biblical view in order for us to be able to discuss how these things relate. So, 
first point, and I apologize, if you got the PDF, uh, conference PDF, you see every one of the speakers put in great notes, except for one person, that'd be me. So you just have a blank sheet there, so I'm going to try to walk you through uh, my outline in a way to be able to take notes for you. I apologize for not being able to do that. So my first uh, point would be, who is the church? Let's discuss the biblical, the biblical definition of who is the church. Tomorrow and later today, we will delve into different pictures that the church represents. Uh, Paul specifically will be taking that to, on tomorrow at 11. But we want to look at what is the, who, who is the church and who makes up the church and what is the church and what is the mission of the church. So who is the church, what is the church, and what is the mission of the church? Beginning with who is the church. When I, when I speak of the church, I do not, I'm not talking about, I think most of us would know this, but just for clarification's sake, I'm not talking about the building we're sitting in. I'm not even necessarily at this point, we'll get into this, talking about the local body. I'm not talking about a denomination, uh, whether it be Presbyterian or Baptist or Catholic or Lutheran or <clears throat> all the different ones that are out there. I'm not speaking of that. I'm speaking of the true church, which would be believers in Christ that have put their faith and trust alone in the finished work of Christ upon the cross. That is the true church. That's, that's defined by scripture. And we're gonna, I'm going to flesh out why the true church is different from the local church. And we'll get to that in just a minute. So because the true church is believers in Christ, the church cannot just be a local assembly. The church, from God's point of view, would be the universal church. Meaning, somebody in the middle of Afghanistan who's worshiping Christ, worshiping the biblical Christ, accepted him as Lord and Savior of life, um, is much in the same church as he is because we're the body of Christ. We know this. But there is another characteristic that's extremely vital, other than just the true, who is the church being the universal church. The true church is the invisible church. The true church is the invisible church. So the true universal church is the, is the invisible church. And let me explain. We can view church only on a horizontal level for the most part. So if you go to 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12, for sake of time, I'm going to flow through these pretty quickly, but I encourage you to flip there and read. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But I am writing to you not to associate with others who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what I have to do, for what have I to do with judging outsiders is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. I look on the outward. God looks upon the heart. So I can look over here and say, I see this man by all of the God-given abilities in scripture that I can see. This man's walking with the Lord. He's part of the true universal invisible church. But the reason I call it invisible is because God can only see the true believers. And it states very clearly in scripture that there are going to be many that look like true believers. And yet at the end of the day, at the one, the last day, when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns, they will hear, I never knew you. So we we've got to exercise our biblical 
responsibility to call out and to determine the local church, the universal church. But the true church, according to God's perspective, is invisible because only he can see the heart. We can only judge from the outward side of things. And we cannot do that perfectly. We do our best, but we certainly can't do it perfectly. We're not judging them in order to condemn them. Only God does that. We're judging them in order to see, are they in the faith, according to 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12. So, the true universal church is the invisible church. And this, Wayne Grudel makes, well, makes note of in his system, book, Systematic Theology, I quote, in, his true, in its true spiritual reality, as the fellowship of all genuine believers, the church is invisible. This is because we cannot see the spiritual condition of people's hearts. The invisible church is the church as God sees it, unquote. 2 Timothy 2.19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, why is this important to clearly identify who the church is before a marriage conference? Go with me to, for, to Colossians 3 if you're not already there. Colossians 3. The important reason, the reason that it's so important to focus on who is the church before a marriage conference is essentially because our old nature is rampant with pride and selfishness. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. And if we are to discuss marriage in the church, the tendency of our sinful hearts will be to look at these issues from a horizontal perspective. How do I measure up? How do I look? A prideful, selfish perspective. The key to a strong church, and therefore the key to a strong relationship of any kind is to drop the singular personal pronoun of I from my vocabulary and replace it with the second person pronoun and plural pronouns of him, her, he, she, we, and us. And you see this in Colossians 3. You see there, we're identified as Christians, as believers in the first four verses. 5 through 11 is stating what you should not look like as a believer. And you could pretty much sum all those up as selfishness and pride. It's all about me. And then you see 12 through the remaining of the chapter, what we are to look like in Christ. And those are the opposite. Those are giving out to other people. If marriage is a picture of the body of Christ, his bride, the church, we've got to discuss who the church is. Otherwise, we can't discuss who mar- what marriage is. So to discuss, finish our understanding of the church, the church is universal. The true church is universal. The true church is invisible. It is the body of Christ. So the question we must ask ourselves is, are you part of the true universal church? The invisible church that only God can see. Have you examined yourself to be found if that, to see if you are found true in the faith? I know that my heart is desperately wicked. And as the days and years pass by, I get a greater glimpse of the deepness and depravity of my soul. And yet, is there fruit keeping with true repentance? Is there the fruit of the Holy Spirit? If you can say that Christ has saved you by His work alone on the cross, then... Rejoice 
and live for Him. Praise Him that He is yours and you are part of the true universal invisible church and live out your life on a daily basis for Him. Because if your faith fizzles at the finish, it's faulty at the first. If it falls apart at the end, it was not true at the beginning. Second question, what is the church? That's who is the church, what is the church? What is the church? The church is God's bride, it is not ours. And we oftentimes claim it as, this is Rutgersburg Christian Fellowship, this is my church. No, that's, that's not it. That's not your church, that's God's bride. And we've got to be very perceptive of that truth. Because the tendency is for us to take over, and yet God desires to build his church, according to Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He also will preserve his church, according to Acts 2, 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So what is our responsibility is to live out Colossians 3 in order that God might have a clear, unblocked channel in which to pour out his work of building and preserving. Sin is what oftentimes blocks that, that relationship there and has to be restored through forgiveness and repentance. The true, universal, invisible church of God is defined, what is the church, is defined by its submission to the Lord Jesus Christ as its husband. Therefore, it seeks to orient orient all the particulars by his word rather than by human experience or popular opinion. Ephesians 5.24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to a husband. America, we have messed up relationships. And the labels, Max uh, referred to the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court decision this last week on DOMA. That alone redefined marriage, not for us, because marriage is defined according to Scripture. But it defined it to the rest of the world of what we believe in America. It opened up. They didn't strike it down. They found it unconstitutional and they, opened, they, they removed Section 3, which extends benefits to homosexuals. And so it's plus or minus 1,100 federal benefits that are now extended to, to homosexuality that, that is uh, enjoyed by those who are married. So we, we've totally messed it up. And the church, we just dove right off the end of the cliff with them in that we are defining relationships by everyone that's around us. So we read the books, we read the blogs, we talk to people, and we're trying to figure out how do you do these things? How do you relate to people, whether married or unmarried, in marriage, outside of marriage, pursuing marriage? How do you do these things? And the last, most of the time, the last thing we resort to is going to Scripture. And so when is the last time you heard a young person come to you and say, yeah, you know, I'm, I've just really been studying Scripture lately, trying to define... What's the biblical principles of how to conduct relationships? It rarely happens. But we've got to resubmit ourselves to God's word as the standard for how to do these things. Who is the church? It's the true, universal, invisible church. What is the church? It's the bride of Christ in full submission to the Lord Jesus Christ as its husband. Third question, what is the mission of the church? Matthew twenty eighteen to 20 this is what... Uh, every believer is should be about is making disciples for the glory of God. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Simply put, the mission of the church is to make disciples for the glory of God. What is a true disciple? Look with me at the Matthew 18 verse, or Matthew 28, 18 through 20 verse. What is a true disciple? You see it? Three parts. Verse 18, a true disciple is one who submits, who has submitted himself to Christ's authority. A true disciple of Christ is one who submits to Christ's authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when you're making disciples to bring into the true universal invisible church, it's imperative that you teach them about authority and submitting to the authority of Christ. Second point, what is a true disciple? Is he obeys Christ's commands. Verse 19, go therefore, there's a command, go therefore and make Disciples of all nations, baptizing them, there's three, for teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He, a true disciple obeys Christ's commands. And then the last, as you see uh, there, and lo, I am with you always, verse 20. A true disciple lives under the influence that he is in Christ and Christ is in him. And you see this in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. What is a true disciple? The mission of the church is to make true disciples for the glory of God. What is the true disciple? He is one who submits to, to Christ's authority, Matthew 28, 18, obeys his commands, Matthew 28, 19, and lives under the influence that he is in Christ and Christ is in him, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This is the church. This is the who and the what and the mission of the true church. And all of these things are practically worked out and the local assembly of the body of Christ. And if you, if you notice, and I'm trying to train myself to do it every Sunday, when I stand up in the pulpit, I don't want to ever say, welcome to Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship Church. Because what I do want to because that's not biblical. biblical. The biblical definition is, welcome to the gathering of the body of Christ here at the assembly of Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship. We are assembling as the, as the body of Christ university in, universally in a local assembly. But that may not be the true church, but we're, we're, we're gathering and these universal principles work themselves out on a local level, which is, if you attend this church, right here. Marriages today within the church are weak an understanding of role and function. Not only have we defi- redefined marriage as not between a man and a woman, we've redefined the role of a man in marriage and redefined the role of a woman in marriage. Nowadays, the majority of Christian women work outside the home. Is that wrong? Not in every circumstance, no. But the heart issue a lot of times is, which is in order to advance their family kingdom, Financially, not necessarily because it's needed. And these things are, we put family, we put children, we put missions, we put ministry, we put all these other things that you see in Colossians 3, put them to the side because we're going to advance me. Marriages are not functionally defined by scripture, but by the culture. Everyone else is doing it, why not me as well? The Western church as a whole views the church with an extremely relaxed attitude at best. 
Church is optional, and certainly we in this church are not immune to this attitude, where we can think, well, you know, I'm part of the universal body of Christ. What's the point? Do I have to go to church every Sunday? Do you have to go to church every Sunday? Do you have to be a part of the local body? What about home church? Ever heard anybody say something like this? Well, I'm a Christian, and because I'm part of the body of Christ, the universal church, I see no reason why I need to associate or submit myself to a local church. Pastors, leadership there. Or how about, I can't really find a church that fits my needs, so I'm just church dating, you know, shopping. There isn't a church in our area that my family feels comfortable being a part of, so we are doing home church. Those are statements that are often made. And none of those statements, for the most part, and for almost every single circumstance, there certainly are some uh, extenuating circumstances, but for almost every single one of those, those are not biblical answers. Those are not biblical statements that you can make. And let's define that. The church... Let me go back. I said marriages are weak in the church. Marriages are in the church. The church is weak because believers don't view the church spiritually. I'm going to get around to... The, to how we relate to the local church in a second. But it's weak because we don't view the church scripturally. And most people within the church, not I'm not talking the leadership, I'm talking the you all sitting in the pews week by week. You're certainly serving and being a part, but not necessarily on the leadership side of things. The church is weak, and when we see that, we normally blame the, the mega church, um, liberal pastors... Etc., etc. But the church, the strength of the church is not entirely dependent upon the leaders. You all, as the congregation, have a responsibility according to Scripture for the strength of the church. The leaders will certainly be held accountable to lead the body correctly, but the body will be held accountable as well. You see that in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Hebrews ten twenty three twenty five. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The body of Christ has responsibility for the direction of the church. And so oftentimes, when we make statements such as, I can't find a church that fits my needs, those are weak statements because they're not biblical statements and they're not statements with a biblical perspective. And church history shows that a much different view of this. Calvin said this, You can't have God as your father and the church not as your mother. So we oftentimes want to submit to God as the universal church, and yet we want to say, I want to step out. I want to run lone wolf a little while. I want to do my own thing. I want to... And yet we're, we're failing to go back to Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, which is seeing the authority that Christ has and has given to the church to shepherd and lead, and the command for believers to submit to that and so when you remove yourself from that, you're outside of God's design for his authority. And you're not seeing the church as your mother. 
Church wasn't an option, certainly, for guys like Calvin. So, quickly picking back up to, can you be a part of the universal church and not be a part of the local church? And I would say no. Not for a very long time. There certainly can be some transitions. But I don't see, according to Scripture, that you can be a part of the universal church and not be part of a local church. Because if you're not fellowshipping with the body of Christ, you may not be a part of the body. You may not be a part of the family. Family fellowships with family. Now, there's, there's so much we could talk about of your family's needs and protecting your family. I'm not, I'm not stating that you should just willy-nilly, blindly walk into a church. And I'll make a clarifying point of why I'm saying that in just one second. David Doran, a theologian, said, The local assembly is the place where God is assigned responsibility for upholding his truth. 1 Timothy 3.15, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Paul's exhortation to Timothy there. Now, the reason why I say, I exhort you, certainly don't just walk willy-nilly into any church. You've got to protect your family and these things. But what you've got to first do is kill... We went back to, going back to Colossians 3, we've got to kill the me and the we and the I and the selfishness and this thought that the church is to serve you. It is, and it's not. You are to serve others as well in the church. You are to serve the leaders. You are to serve those around you. You are part of the body. If you're the hand, you've got to work. If you're the mouth, you've got to speak. You have a role and a function. So to walk into a church and expect what can you give me is a completely unbiblical perspective. It is a, how can I invest here for the glory of God? How can I make true disciples? That's the mission of the true universal invisible church. How can I make disciples for the glory of God? So we must realize that if you're part of the universal, the true universal invisible church, you have to be a part of a local assembly. Otherwise, we can't even get into how do you conduct relationships if there's no relationships that are existing there because you're moving all around. Now, my remaining time here, 22 minutes, I want to flesh out practically how these relationships work within the church. Again, this is a moot point if you don't have a biblical understanding of the church, your involvement in the church, and the command there to be um, in the church and serving in the church rather than just wanting the church to be all about what it can do for you. If marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, and believers today have, as a majority anyway, a weak view of the church, no wonder marriage, as defined according to Scripture, is vanishing in, the, in, in America today. The way the church goes is the way marriages will follow. The way the pulpit goes is the way the church will go. But the way the church will go, because there's, there's, there's the reciprocity there, there's the back and forth. The way the marriages oftentimes go is the way the church will go. And obviously the pulpit can depend a lot on that. But a, pulp, a weak pulpit will oftentimes be bolstered and strengthened to be a strong pulpit if the people and the marriages within the church are strong as well. Okay, now the question is, what is marriage? Define the church. What is marriage? Quickly, and how does the local assembly of the body of Christ, the church, relate to those within the purpose, within for the purpose of strengthening and growing new marriages? I would encourage you to be here Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Paul's going to go over all the pictures there of what marriage is. So I'm not going to flesh out 
in detail, but for simple explanation, I'm going to say this. Paragraph. Marriage, as defined by God, is one man, one woman, joined together in covenantal relationship for life, for the purpose of one, mutual companionship, Genesis 2, 18, 24, two, propagation of a godly seed, Genesis 1, 28, three, protection against impurity, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, four, conformity to the image of Christ, and five, a living example of Christ's love for us. Conformity to the image of Christ, you can see in Ephesians 5. Let me go over them again. Marriage as defined by God is one man, one woman, joined together in covenantal relationship for life for the purpose of one, mutual companionship, two, propagation of a godly seed, three, protection against impurity, four, conformity to the image of Christ, five, a living example of Christ's love for us. Young people get this. Because there's been, I've had discussions and I've heard of discussions of friends of, I, friends of mine have had with young people and they're just growing weak on, this is the truth and I will stand for this. And this is what it says and, and it's not what it looks like in the culture. Who cares? Follow the truth according to scripture. Marriage as defined by, man, by God is one man, one woman, one woman. One man, one woman joined together in covenantal relationship for life. So we're not going to flesh out all those particulars. That'd be an entire message in itself. Come back on 11. Paul will help us with that. What we're going for now is how do we as married couples relate to individuals and other married couples within the local body of Christ? Colossians 3. Move through these quickly and then we're going to get to the practicalities here. Colossians 3. already talked. We have a contrasting picture here of what relationships should look like. 11, 5 through 11 is the bad side. 12 through 17 is what we should look like. And we know this is talking about relationships. Because one, it's the body, the family of God. And you can see that in the beginning. There are 1 through 4. But also through verses 18 to 25. It's talking about the home. It's talking about workplace. It's talking about uh, marriage. Children, you see that very clearly there. Now, let me just quickly define some, some particular statements in Colossians 3. Let me start by verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Um, this putting on... Is a, is, a recognition, is a recognition that there is no difference... Between us, because we're all in Christ. And you see that in verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, meaning here as in the body of Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. That means That doesn't mean do whatever you like. That means there's no distinction as in Christ. That doesn't mean there's no role and function. There's men, there's women, there's children. They go through that in 18 through 25. So that doesn't mean there's, there's no authority and you can just do whatever you like. What that means is, in Christ, we're all in the same playing field as the body of Christ. We function differently. We have different roles. But universally, we associate together as in Christ. This is in very important because the church will always battle cliques. It will always battle little groups. It will always battle jealousy between, hey, I'm not with those people. Or I'm not being able to do this. Or I'd, those people have a 
they're the mouth, they speak well, they're the hand, they do well, and I'm just this, whatever it is. We, we've always got to battle that. So it's imperative that we understand before we get into how these things relate that we, there is no distinction. We've got to see each other in Christ. Alistair Begg gives this example. It would be like me, uh, right after the service, you going out those doors, and <clears throat> we have robes out there, small, medium, large. And you put your robe on, and just right across the front of your chest there, FCF. And it's a nice, bright color, and you walk out into the world, and whether you walk into school and work and the grocery store, and people are... Looking at you, you just walk by and, wow, there's a FCF groupie. I mean, the, you associate, the, people would be able to associate. Well, that's what the putting on means. Is You're, you're literally putting on uh, a jersey, if you want to use a sports analogy. You're uh, being identified as a believer in Jesus Christ. And the identity of a believer in Jesus Christ is 12 through 17... But you've got to understand that that's your identity and that's the jersey you wear. So in relationships, we're not looking at going, well, he's less than me or he and I quite don't get along or there's not, he's not in the same group. He doesn't like the same things. He's younger. He's older. In order to have strong, a strong atmosphere that foster godly relationships and strengthen marriages, you've got to be able to go back to Colossians 3.11 and understand that there aren't those distinctions. There's, there's roles, but we honor one another and we love one another and we reach out to one another rather than this separation that is caused by sin. So how do these things work out practically? Now, one more distinction. I'm going to speak to married to married couples and married to individual. I'm not going to speak to individual to individual. I will tomorrow. And in the questions that you guys could submit online, that was like the number one question. How does guys and girls of marriageable age interact? How do young people interact? We will talk about that tomorrow. I'm speaking to married to married, married to individual for the purpose, for the purpose of fostering and strengthening and growing new marriages. Now, I'm going to, here's a list I'm going to give you seven, seven practical things a seasoned couple or a newly married couple can, can do and have in their life that will allow them to interact with other married couples and, and those that are of marriageable age and are young people. This is uh, coming straight out of Colossians 3. It's not an exhaustive list. Just a few suggestions, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to give you the uh, greater insight to make better practical application in your own life and, and see other creative ways to be able to do these things. So this is certainly not a, an exhaustive list, but I offer it to you. First, to the seasoned couples and newly married. Remember, we're trying to str- strengthen relationships in this church, trying to strengthen marriages. So how do we relate? Number one, not in order of importance. To the seasoned couples and newly married. You're in your interaction with other couples and young people. Number one, be bold to daily embrace the biblical teaching on marriage. Now, in these seven that I'm going to give you, there are some that are about you and your marriage, and there's some about how your marriage reaches out. Because a 
marriage really can't have much of an impact unless it's strong. So first it has to go in. And I think this one, be bold to daily embrace the biblical teaching on marriage, is first inward. This is verse 16, by the way, of Colossians 3. It's first inward before it's outward. What I'm meaning is this. I think oftentimes in the culture of the church, there is the tendency to put on the show. We all know this. We do this really well. We have great ministry smiles. We walk in. Hey, you got your wife, arm around your wife. Yeah, we're doing great. And you're not. You're struggling. And you go home and the tendency is to try to get back to the public because it kind of looks good and it feels better there and you can kind of remove yourself from the tension that's at home. Be bold to embrace the biblical teaching on marriage. So fathers, take the initiative. Lead well to study the scriptures, to read books, to grow in your understanding of how roles and functions work in marriage. You can't teach it. You can't encourage others. You can't foster strong relationships outside of your marriage unless you're first doing it inside your marriage where no one else sees. It's just you and your wife. Number two, obtain a unified vision of the Great Commission, which would be discipleship. This is verse 17a. Colossians 3, 17a. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Obtain a unified vision of the Great Commission. Do you as a married couple have a unified vision of how our marriage and how our family is going to reach the world for Christ? And there's particular ways and giftings for every single couple. But are you all unified on that? Are you clear on who's God calling you to minister? You won't be able to grow and str- we won't be able to have a strong atmosphere that uh, in this church of that fosters and strengthens marriage unless we have unified couples on the great commission that's not only without from without outside your home that's also inside your home number 3 create a home where hospitality flourishes and grace and love are modeled this is verse 17b Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Create a home where hospitality flourishes and grace and love are modeled. The church is a hospital for saints. And oftentimes, the tendency is, and this has been well documented in in studies by Pew, Pew Research Group, George Barna has documented this well, that young people in that are of marriageable age in churches really struggle with the church because of the feeling that they are condemned by any mistake that they made and they're hold to a married standard when they've never when they're not married yet that they they're expected to be what they have no understanding of knowledge of being and so they retreat when they make mistakes they retreat when they sin And we as married couples have got to kill that attitude by modeling transparency, by helping people understand how the grace and love of Christ given to us through the gospel manifests itself on a daily basis. So the best way to do that is have people into your home. I remember when I was married, basically living for two years in the Proches home. They're not perfect. But they, they seek to model. Yeah, I'm going to call you right out. Tom's an elder too. They seek to model. They seek to model. They sought to model and they modeled well for me 
a marriage. And, you know, was every word? No. We all know this. No marriage is perfect. But I was able to see grace and love in in a home that modeled hospitality. So I encourage you to have a home that's hospitable. Number four. I have to start moving quickly here. Got 11 to go. In nine minutes. Number four, do not go seeking a ministry. This is a quote by, by John Wesley. Number four, do not go seeking a ministry, but anticipate the fruits of a disciplined life. This is verse 12, 15, and 17. Have a disciplined home. Have a disciplined home. Discipline yourself to be in the word. Discipline yourself, fathers, to lead spiritually. Discipline yourself to, to focus first on the family. and Marriage first and then the family. And expect that as you discipline yourself to do Colossians 3 in practical manners, God will give you ministry in abundance. So don't neglect the home for ministry. Number five, make your marriage a priority above all earthly requirements. This is verse 1 through 4. Christ gave himself for his bride, the church. He did not give himself for his business, his career, his hobbies. And this is best model, this is best seen when you go to a wedding ceremony. And the, the doors open and the bride comes down and everybody turns to look. But next time you're at one, don't look at the bride. Look at the groom. Man, that guy, his, his face is fixed. It, it, guys, we're not dogs, but I'm going to give this example. <laughs> you, ever, you, you ever seen the little dog and you're fixing his food? The dog's... I mean, just, just you can't distract his gaze for anything. He, I mean, he's waiting, he's expectant, it's just, boom, it's focused. That's exactly the way we should be, husbands, with our marriage. It's focused on our marriage before our hobby, our business, our career. Dr. Steve Stevens, I don't recommend everything in his book, Marriage, Experiencing the Best, said, It's a sad state of affairs when we take better care of our cars and houses than we do our marriages. We change the oil, fill the tank, check the tires, periodically tune up our cars, we change light bulbs, wash windows, paint walls, unplug toilets, re-roof our houses. But what do we do to maintain our marriage? The truth is, more damage is done than repairs are made. How important is your marriage? It is more important to you is it more important to you than your car or your home or your business or your hobbies or your sports, I might add. Are you willing to put in the time and energy and whatever else it takes to prove your partner prove to your partner how valuable the relationship truly is to you. Number six, invite others along the trip with you. Some of these things certainly overlap. This one would certainly overlap with uh, number four and number two in terms of discipleship. Invite others along the trip with you. This is verse 13 and 16 of Colossians 3. So whether it's new couples, older couples, young people in that hospitable home, investing in, in growing relationships through discipleship, Titus 2, a Titus 2 mentoring culture, obtain that for your other young people around you, whether it's inviting people to read a book with you or taking them to a conference or listening to sermons and asking them to, to have a, a breakfast with you, discuss that, foster this, uh, the trip of life, uh, foster this understanding that you desire other people to walk along this trip of life with you. Number seven, the last one for seasoned couples and newly married. Be humble. Be humble. And I'm not speaking in being humble so that others will come to you. I'm speaking about being humble to go to others. Verse 12. No marriage has ever reached its pinnacle. No marriage is ever immune from difficulties. No marriage is ever immune from bumps. 
And don't be afraid to go and seek godly counsel. I think there's sometimes a perception of, I've been married 25 years. You know, they're going to think I'm crazy that I got this struggle. No one's going to be able to talk to me or listen to me. No, no, that's not true. Because whether it's me that's been married five and a half years, I can speak to you at 25 years of marriage. I can't tell you how to do it, but I can tell you what scripture says. And that should be the standard of everything that we do. Be humble. Be humble to go to others and say, hey, would you help? Otherwise, we're going to have weak marriages. <clears throat> we'll have weak marriages. The outside, they look great. And it's just a, just a clay pot. They're just nasty inside. There's nothing there. We're going to have strong, strong oaks of righteousness type marriages. Okay. Second, marriage to marriage and young people. So a specific marriageable age and young people of marriageable age. So you as a young person, if you're 16, if you're 17, you're 25, you're not married, you're, you, you want to be married one day, here's some things that I would encourage you to do to relate to other people, relate to other marriage, specifically to married couples. Number one, some of these overlap. One, don't be afraid to seek godly counsel. Uh, again, going back to your identity in Christ in verse 11. And this is the beauty, I think, of us in an age-integrated church um, where it is easier for a 12-year-old to speak to a father because he's been with that father in worship for the past nine years of his life or whatever it is. And there's relationships that are built there. So it's certainly easier in our church. But young people, don't be afraid to seek godly counsel. Uh, specifically from your parents, but certainly from other men or women um, asking questions. I really, I really encourage this when it comes to godly counsel. Oftentimes, I think our young people are, are getting off on a wrong foot in marriage because they're afraid to seek godly counsel and they feel like they're being held to this unrealistic expectation. And so they go type in the internet, how do you do this? What's this? And they get off on a really bad foot. Don't do that. Go to a marriage that's, that's modeled Christ-likeness to the best of biblical ability and say, hey, you know, would you, would you walk me through? How do you do this? What do you do here? And how do you pursue this? And things of that nature. Number two, become a student of the gospel. Become a student of the gospel because marriage is a picture of the gospel. Strong marriage will have a strong understanding of the gospel. Number three, find strong marriages and study them, 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Ask questions, ask about pitfalls, influential books, influential opportunities. Find strong marriages and study them. Going quickly here. Don't be afraid to seek godly counsel. One, two, become a student in the gospel. Three, find strong marriages and study them. Four, taking that John Wesley quote again, but twisting it around. Do not go seeking a ministry of marriage, but anticipate the fruits of a disciplined life. I read a, a really humorous story, but... God doesn't always work that way, but he does sometimes. A young man, true story, driving down the road, <clears throat> single, came past a mailbox in a neighborhood he'd never been through. And the mailbox said, Jesus is, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A lot of people use that verse. And this guy of a evangelistic mindset said, hey, I wonder if they really know what that means. So he dropped his business card in the mailbox, thinking, I wonder if I could develop a relationship with this family, single guy. Siring to encourage others. It wasn't a family. It was a single young lady. And she pulled the card. And she called him. And said, you left this in my mailbox. And he chatted a little with her. And asked if he could meet her in person. They agreed to meet at a Baptist church with her family. And they're married today. There's different ways of doing things. But this young man was just fulfilling his God-given duty. According to Colossians 3. 
And that doesn't, that, you know, I'm not saying if you do this, you're going to be married in two months. I mean, there's no promise here. But, but you, you can't go around seeking marriage and, and forgetting the ministry according to Colossians 3. Okay, number five, three more. Number five, seek ways to serve selflessly. Seek ways to serve selflessly. That could be number one. Verse 12, seen there. Put others before yourself. Find ways to do that. Six, stand for the true picture of marriage. If you are a student of the gospel, number two, then you had better be standing for a true picture of marriage. And there are many ways to do that. But do that publicly. Stand strong for the true picture of marriage. Because you're the bride of Christ. And if you let marriage be tainted, it, goes, it looks bad for the bride. And, and you're to prepare yourself. And that's number seven. Do not make marriage a goal. Make your own bridal preparation the goal. We talked about the groom's gaze at a wedding. It's focused. We are the bride of Christ. Male, female, we are the bride of Christ here. Our number one priority should be about the, uh, our bridal preparation. For the day when Christ returns, the trumpet sounds, Christ descends, calls those to be with him in glory for eternity. Are you ready for that return? Are you pure? Are you seeking a garment that is white? Are you being sanctified by the scripture and by the church? Revelation 21, 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be them with them as their God. The, ultimately the best way that we can foster an atmosphere of married to young people and married to married in this church is for every person in here that's a, the true universal invisible church to be preparing as the bride of Christ. To be preparing according to Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 for that day when Christ will turn. It, will return. And it is an unexpected day. We do not know the day when it will happen. So if you do not know Christ, if you're not assured of your salvation, today is the day. Make that a priority today that you would be ready for when he returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look to scripture and understand the way according to scripture we can relate. And Father, we want to have strong uh, an atmosphere that an atmosphere that fosters strong biblical relationships, particularly married to married and married to unmarried. So give us the grace to live out these things in accordance with your word. Bless the remainder of our day. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.